0: We've been studying through the uh, through the book of first Peter and uh, I'd say we've we've covered some pretty good ground these last um, well gosh it's been I think it's been six weeks or something like that and um, we're studying Peter's words to a group of first century churches that are gathered throughout an area that he identifies as Asia Minor um, to what we now know as modern day Turkey but it, he identifies five different churches throughout this area, and he's speaking to them a word of truth with the emphasis as he ends his letter in chapter five, verse 12, where he says, I've written to you briefly, admonishing you, this is the grace of God, stand firm in it. And as we've seen thus far, the message that he has given to them under this kind of umbrella of standing firm in the grace of God, really is to a group of churches who are facing trials, who are suffering for the sake of righteousness, who are having to endure for the circumstances that surround him. He doesn't identify any one particular thing. And as I said when we, when we began this study, that um, this is before Nero, so this is before the real persecution actually ramped up. And we understand that just as we've gone through that Really, there's probably a number of things that he's addressing to Gentile believers who are living now within this Roman empire whose whose allegiance is being called to be given to Caesar and to Caesar alone, which of course we know cuts across every grain of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so because of this, he addresses them as exiles and aliens living in a foreign land that are sojourning through this day and age. And it's really just been a a wonderful encouragement, and I hope that you are actually finding the grace to stand firm in. And we've covered through, because I, I believe that how we understand this principle of Christian endurance and continuance in the grace of God speaks volumes in this day and age, because brothers and sisters, how we endure right now, how we persist in this world, in the circumstances that surround us, makes a world of difference as to how the world understands God in us and God for us. From the the biggest circumstance surrounding your life to perhaps the smallest, how you face adversity speaks worlds of who God is. And so this isn't just a, a series to encourage us through a COVID pandemic. This is a series that is calling us as believers to learn how to dig deep, to draw from the deep well of grace that is the Lord Jesus Christ, because what we face as believers, what we face as a church, as, as a public community professing the gospel of Jesus Christ, our future is uncertain, and it's not guaranteed. Guaranteed. Except for, I was just speaking to someone before we began, what we do know is that the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that we will suffer. To what degree, we don't know. And so he writes to them, as I said, stand firm in the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And so we've set out and we've identified these graces that are present for them and also for us in Peter's words to remain immovable in the face of suffering for the sake of righteousness. And we began in the beginning by recognizing the grace that is our citizenship. As I already said, he talks about about them being exiles, and and, and he attaches the New Testament Gentile believers to the Old Testament people of God, to the Israelites. That's that's Peter's intent in, in tying all that in so that they would see themselves as a continuance of God's people and recipients of God's promise. And so the grace of citizenship, what a grace that is for the life of a a believer. But also in the sojourning, God's people are sustained by a future promise, a future inheritance that's promised to them, to us, one that Peter tells us is is obtained by faith. And so then Peter speaks of the grace that is a believer's new life in chapter 1 and the subsequent new inheritance that comes along with that new birth. And then we heard of the grace that is found in suffering. The grace that is for us in adversity. God's sovereignty and his power through the trials and how suffering accomplishes something in our life that couldn't perhaps be accomplished any other way. What a good message that is, right? You probably all left really encouraged. Actually, I hope you did. Because that's the reality of it. God uses adversity and trials in our life to accomplish something that seemingly couldn't be done any other way. And so we embrace them knowing that it's God's sovereign plan for our life. And then moving in to the amazing grace that is the new creation life of the believer. How we've been reborn, chosen as God's people and as Peter says, a royal priesthood and a holy nation we are God's chosen people. The grace of being adopted, brothers and sisters. The grace of being made new as a new creation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we heard about the grace of living free, we taught. And this was, a, this was perhaps a difficult one in this day and age of learning that, that the Lord has placed in our life civil authorities, godly order, God-ordained to bring about both the flourishing and the righteous. Of God in humanity? And what do we do when those those civil authorities cross with God's command in our life? And then last week, Rick spoke on the grace that's God's created order. And like the previous week, how we actually thrive in structure as Peter addresses husbands and wives. And therefore, this idea of Uh, this cultural ideology of casting off all restraints is actually really harmful rather than healthy, as it might say. And so today I want to identify uh, another grace for us to stand firm in. And that is the grace to bless and be a blessing. The grace to bless and be a blessing. I've entitled today's teaching, To This We Are Called. Peter's going to speak on something all throughout his letter, and he uses a a bit of a formula that I realized this week as I was studying. And this formula is, is, is actually pretty simple, but as I was looking at it, I went, wow, how helpful it really is, because Peter will speak on something pertaining to the Christian identity, and then directly following, he'll speak on the subsequent behavior related to that. So he'll say, this is who you are, and therefore, this is what you do in light of who you are. And so we'll see today that it's actually just the same thing. And I'm going to take four verses. We're going to look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. And these were four verses that actually, as I was considering what I wanted to teach this morning, it's easy to glance through them. But as I read them, I felt like, no, God has something for us today. So let me get into it so that we have time to actually hear from the Lord and not just me. To find God's grace today between the politics that surround us, between the pandemic, between the, the cultural clashings that we find ourselves living and existing within, what is the response of a believer? What should our primary objective be when we only have one first response? You know what I mean by that? When we only get to respond for the first time once in our life, How do we approach a circumstance? How do we approach something that perhaps warrants more thought and intent than just an off-the-cuff remark? Does that mean? Yes, Lord. Embrace it. This is adversity. How will we pursue righteousness through it? Has it subsided? All right, we continue on. <laughs> My goodness. All right, first Peter, let's look at the text. Way to persevere, guys. Beginning in verse eight, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Father, this is your word. We receive it this morning with gladness of hearts, with humility, Father, understanding that you you bring to us both instruction, correction, maturity, and encouragement, Lord, through through your word, by your spirit. Lord, build us up today, we pray, that we would be, as I have said, this church who stands firm, who is immovable, Lord God, in the face of these days that we live. To the glory of your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. With Peter's instruction here, he's he's in these four verses, he's both setting up what he is about to say in regards to suffering for righteousness. In fact, if you have headings in your Bible, which you probably do like every Bible does, he begins this portion in verse 8 by the title of it is suffering for righteousness. But he hasn't in these four verses launched into it just yet, but he's getting ready to set up with He's setting up with what he's getting ready to say here. But so interestingly too, as I was reading this, he points back to what he has just said in chapter two and in chapter three, primarily of submission to authority. And he lists five Christian virtues which are essential to the accomplishment of both the submission to God's created order, but also suffering for righteousness' sake. And I just thought it was really interesting when you look at it through that lens of how these virtues which we'll look at more in a moment but before we do that I want to actually begin for the bulk of our time here and I want to focus on this overarching truth that as Christians we are commanded to respond or to act if you will not in a way that necessarily seems most fitting or the most just to us in the moment but rather in a way that points humanity towards Jesus Christ. This is what Peter is instructing them to do. Do not respond to the suffering that surrounds, sorry, to the persecution that surrounds them strictly in a manner that they seem to be the most fitting, but rather in a way that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, that honors God, that honors the Lord's commands, that points people to repentance and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a difficult and a fine line that we sometimes walk, brothers and sisters. Because as I said a moment ago, we have our own natural instincts and our own natural reactions, but oftentimes we default to the temporal lens. We default to our own earthly thinking and thoughts and philosophies, rather than to the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter, what he's really doing is he's trying to reset their default to say, how you respond must give glory to the Lord, must point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this response is, he says, to bless. And it's one of, I thought, one of the most occurring words probably throughout scripture, the word blessed and may in fact be one of the least understood, or at least in terms of how familiar we are with its actual intent and application to our life. When we we think of blessing, we probably most quickly go towards the common of a, a kind gesture when somebody sneezes, or maybe something that is said before you sit down to eat. You know, would you like to give the blessing? You guys remember National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? where he's like, the blessing, and she says the Pledge of Allegiance. She stands up and she gives the... A... That was just a funny moment. We might watch that and think that, that, you know, that's what the blessing is that we're called to do. Or, or maybe even some of the... <laughs> she puts her hand over her heart. I know Dennis Quaid stands up. Randy Quaid stands up. All right. The... Okay, wait a minute. I just got to make sure you guys are tracking with me. We've all seen that movie, right? Have you seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Okay. All right, good. Then we can move on past it. That's right. So we might think of something like that when we think of bless or blessing. Or perhaps maybe the, the real good Christians can remember the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes and what he says about blessing and curses. But I actually think... We're very familiar with the term without really understanding the beauty and the breadth and the significance of what God has intended throughout of Scripture to communicate to his people. The Greek word for blessing in the New Testament is a word that's, that's difficult-ish to pronounce. It's eulogia, which holds in its meaning something that's much more significant than just a kind word or a good word towards someone. Think about for a moment. When Paul said, bless those who persecute you in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. It's more than just a kind word that Paul is speaking of. To bless within Scripture, to bless is to pursue God's gracious and merciful interjection on behalf of and to the benefit of a person, persons or circumstance. It's to pursue To bless is to pursue God's gracious and merciful interjection on behalf of and to the benefit of a person or persons or circumstance. And I think I have it here for you. But listen, it goes even deeper than that. God doesn't just call us to tolerate our accusers. He commands that we love them as he loves them. And so in, the, I, in, in this command to bless, as Peter says, as we were called to do, comes with it much more intention. That, that, that within this word is, that, is a picture that God's sovereign interruption in their life would lead them to repentance and to the knowledge of him. So it isn't just to love in the sense of well wishes. It is to bless, is to pursue righteousness for their greater benefit, for their health and the healing of their soul that they would come into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an appeal to God to help them and to make them whole. Because after all, is not the ultimate blessing that it is not even a material gain at all, but it's that we would be counted as one of God's people. Is that not the blessing of the Christian life, that we are counted as one of God's own? So in the act of blessing is this intent in our own heart and a desire to pursue that those outside of Christ would come to be one of his as well, to bless and to experience blessing. In this sense then, to bless is to ask God to intervene amidst unrighteousness, with mercy, with peace, with love, thereby exposing others to his free gift of grace, leading them into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. And we know that this, of course, doesn't come from us. It's akin to the work of salvation in the life of a believer. To bless is an act of God. It is God that blesses. But like salvation, we don't know how God blesses or whom he blesses in that moment. We don't know who God will save and how he will call them. We were just commanded to speak what is true. The same is with this truth that we are called to. We are called to speak life that leads to true life. We are called to care to the extent that we would see others be brought in to the fold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this making sense? Okay, good. I'm gonna have to get moving here pretty quick. Peter's gonna say in verse nine, he says, bless, for to this you were called. Brothers and sisters, God has blessed us in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be a blessing to others. Right? This is the life of a believer. It's not rocket science, thank God. It's simple so that we would both be able to understand, comprehend, and live each and every day. He has blessed us that we might bless. And as I said a moment ago, this, this principle of blessing, it runs throughout Scripture. As to our calling to to be a blessing and to bless, we have to remember that it's tied inseparably to the nature of God's people. To be a blessing is is deep, deep, deep within the core of who we are because it is inseparably tied to God's covenant promise with Abraham of whom we come from by faith, right? Right? So, it's part of who we are. It's part of what we are called to, as Peter says. We cannot separate it from who we are as people of God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, and, and let's look at God's promise to Abraham. Genesis 22, in verse 16. I want you to quickly turn there. We don't have time for slow turning today. Genesis 22, look at verse 16. I'll begin in 15, and the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you Have obeyed my voice. Church, we are the offspring of Abraham. We're called to be a blessing to the nations. We do this by pursuing righteousness and peace through our words and through our actions, by pursuing God on behalf of our culture and responding in righteousness when faced with opposition and criticism. Whoa, can we do that? What is our default? Is our default to bless? And to be a blessing, or is our default to respond in offense, to need to be justified, to need to be understood and heard? Listen, this is for this is probably more for me than maybe some of you. This is for all of us because in this life we still wrestle between the flesh and and the things of the Spirit of God, between the new man and the old man. And this life of casting off the old man is a life that is daily lived. This is part of it. But again, brothers and sisters, this is a grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? This is given to us by God as part of our new birth, made alive within us by the Spirit of God, and enabled within us daily to live out by God's divine ability. So it's present for us, it's available for us, it's designed for us to live within. That's good, to this point, Jesus would say in Luke chapter six, we don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. He says, but I say to you, now think of this in terms of what I've been saying. But I say to you, Jesus says, to you who would hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And he ends it all a few verses later with the, the golden rule, if you will. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them, he says. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, see the Lord, he says here today, th- th- this is what he is saying to us. To love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. To bless those who curse you and to pray for those who abuse you. These are simple truths that we've heard over and over again, but how important is it for us right now? How significant is that truth for our life? Whether you are, again, facing something really significant, you know, a massive type of perhaps adversity or just something small, to hold these words of the Lord Jesus Christ and not just as you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do. But no, I've created you for this. I've enabled you to do this. I'm empowering you to live like this. See, there's a difference between those two. The one is just full of our works and our striving and our like having to feel like, ah, I got to do this. The other is like, this is who I am and this is how I act. This is what it looks like to bless in some circumstances. Resist retaliation and retribution. And instead, have faith in God who's perfectly just. Easier said than done, right? Most of the time. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. And be even quicker to forgive. Let your responses be overflowing with kindness and compassion and Paul will say in Colossians 4 at the end of his letter, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. We taught through Colossians, I think it was in 2019. And just this idea of what saltiness does when it's used. It not only preserves, but it enhances. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Listen, brothers and sisters, how do we bless Let yourself be misunderstood. That is a hard one. Let yourself be misunderstood. You don't have to be justified in this life. The Lord Jesus Christ will confirm who you are in the life that you have lived. One day. And he might even do it this day. But be content to be misunderstood in this life. Similar to this, Peter going to say in verse eleven, quoting Psalm thirty-four, which is what we read. He's quoting Psalm thirty-four in those four verses this morning. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Come on, who was thinking that? <laughs> Nobody, just me. Peter's going to say, in quoting Psalm 34, in verse 11, he says this, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. David was the writer of Psalm 34, and I can't help but believe that David didn't just mean that the good days, if you desire to see good days, do these things. And I can't help but believe that David didn't just see this as a personal fulfillment, if you will. David was a king of the people. He pursued God on behalf of his people. David understood that this pursuit of good led to good days for the land, for his kingdom, for the people of which he ruled. This was a public plea, I believe, in part on David's David's part. To seek and to pursue literally means to aim for peace, aim for peace and then chase after it. And what I love about this is that, of course, we see again that this peace is not just simply an absence of turmoil, it is the shalom peace. And I've spoken about this before. Shalom, completeness, peace, safety, fulfillment, tranquility, contentment, health, all which comes from peace with God. Pursue, seek peace, seek shalom, and chase after it. Again, the context is not just for yourself, but it is for the people. It's for those, our communities that we're around. David knew that a pursuit of righteous peace results in God's favor and blessing for his people and his land. And so again, by citing Psalm 34, Peter is tying in our call as God's people, to bless with the sovereign providence of God within humanity, that God's interaction for mankind's welfare, welfare and right standing with himself. He's tying these things in together. And then To further this point, as I said a moment ago, as we read, Peter lists five virtues in 3.8, which, listen, brothers and sisters, is not just another list of Christian to-dos that we are to fall short from. I'm I'm serious. How often do we read these things? Add yourself this, into this, to this, and to this, to this, and to this, to this, and you're going like, I'm still struggling to get that first one. This isn't just a list of to-dos. Don't read it as something that is like, if you don't have this, you're falling short. Read this, brothers and sisters, as a list of virtues given to you by God, again, by grace, through your new created life. They're inherent within you. They are present for you as God's gift to us. Let's live them out. And beautifully, it's grace that activates them in the life of the believer. They're bound together by grace, these five virtues. It's it's resultant from the new birth that Peter speaks of in chapter one, verses three through four, when he says that we've been born again into a living hope. This being born again incorporates these five virtues that he lists. And so they're not just characters and character traits and qualities that we should consider. No, 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 there's so much more. They are vital to the Christian life. They're present in the Christian life. They're for us. So we must not just simply try to exhibit them. Let's pursue them with faith and let's live them out by God's grace. And I don't think I'm gonna have enough time to to dig them all up, and that's okay, because I think on the surface we can get a pretty good idea of what they are. But let me just go through them quickly. Maybe you could help me back there, bro. Just keep keep track of the keynote, okay? I would appreciate it. So the first, and I like the NIV's language in this. The first, he says, in ESV it says, have unity of mind, but he says, be like-minded. Peter's speaking to God's people And he says, all of you. He begins by saying all of you. And I looked at it because it's almost like, so usually we look at the end of chapter two as just kind of three categories, speaking about civil authority, speaking about masters, and then speaking about husbands and wives. But it's almost like Peter adds a fourth category and he switches and he says, okay, now all of you, this is how you ought to live. And he begins, he says, be like-minded, be of one mind, be harmonious, He's going to speak more of this in chapter 4 when he says that we're to be sober-minded, loving one another earnestly. But listen, brothers and sisters, it's a mind that holds to a common understanding of truth. Again, he wasn't just speaking to one church either. So now he's talking to believers at large, but how applicable it is for us right here today. As believers, that we would hold to a common understanding of truth. It's a mind that, as he says earlier in chapter 1, that's prepared for action, having itself set fully on the hope that will be brought at Christ's return. But it also speaks more than just this commonality of understanding, for in it, there's a willingness to submit ourselves to one another for the sake of Christ which, listen, brothers and sisters, it undermines the offenses that can divide and undercut a community of believers. A willingness to submit undermines the offenses that so easily arise that divide us. Be like-minded. Have a common understanding of truth and submit to one another out of honor and out of love and care. I was thinking there's probably not much in terms of these five. This might speak the loudest in this current cultural moment where the, 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 this, this ideology of self-autonomy you know, is the most pervasive and you've got this community of believers who not only are united but have the similar understanding and are constantly just not deferring but you know, giving preference to one another, submitting to each other, maintaining unity with each other. The second he says is sympathy. I thought you were going to keep me up back there, bro. What happened? There you are. Be sympathetic. Be sympathetic. Sympathetic, we know what this is. It's, it's. Well, maybe we don't. Do we know what this is? It's to feel suffering. It's to share in another's pain. I think sometimes we get empathy and sympathy mixed up. Empathy basically is just like, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Gosh, that must be really tough, what you're going through right now. Sympathy says, let me suffer with you. Let me carry what you're going through. Let me walk alongside you and through this right now. Brothers and sisters, what a testimony that is. Again, we're talking about a visible witness and how a life like this, how does this bless well, obviously it, it it blesses those around us. It blesses the community of believers. But to a watching world, to see behavior, it draws them in. And, and again, Peter speaks about this previously, and he talks about that, that, that they would be uh, that they would their ignorance would be silenced, and that when they see these actions, they would glorify the Lord. Jesus Christ. We're talking about behavior now that draws and summons unbelieving into the people, into the blessing that is being one of God's people. To be sympathetic, it's a readiness to rejoice with those who rejoice, as Paul would say in Romans twelve fifteen, to mourn with those who mourn. As a body, when one part suffers, the entire body suffers, right? When your hip hurts, your back hurts too. When your head hurts, your body doesn't want to operate, right? When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. This is who we are. We are the body of Christ Jesus. For as a body, we not only pursue the good of each other, but we also share in the needs and the concerns of one another. And let me just move quickly. Thirdly, he says, love one another. That's, Very straightforward. And it's more brothers and sisters. It's just that. It's brothers and sisters. It's part of the family of God. It's a character trait that's uniquely Christian. It's uniquely Christian. We are adopted into the family of God. We are kin with each other. And therefore we love as brothers and sisters love one another. And sometimes we quarrel like brothers and sisters quarrel. But inevitably, we love the way that siblings love. Number four, tender tender-hearted. he says. This word in the NIV is just compassionate. The gospel speaks of, of Jesus' compassion for those who were sick in exemplifying this. In the compassion of the father to the prodigal son and of compassion of the Samaritan to the wounded man on the side of the road, compassion is shown in each one of those examples and listen, we don't have time to do the, the, the word study on it, but, but the Hebrew understanding of this word literally has to do with the bowels of the individual in, because it was there that the Hebrews believed that the deep feelings came from the deep organs of the person. That's where love and courage is also found. So this idea of compassion comes from somewhere that's so much deeper than just, again, like, ah, oh, man, that must be tough. It's tied to being sympathetic. In Ephesians chapter 4.32, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And he says, forgiving one another just as in Christ forgave you. What did Christ do? Christ did something so much deeper than just like patting us on the back and saying, all right, go ahead and go on. No, man, I mean, it was a radical rescuing transformation and enabling of this life. Everything that God has done through Jesus Christ is deep and significant. The call is the same in Paul's mind here in Ephesians. Be compassionate. Forgive like God forgave. Be compassionate as God is compassionate unto you. And number five, be humble. It's to have a humble opinion of oneself. It's interesting, like the first word that's translated as like-minded, this word also is translated as, what do they call that one word, hyphen, two, second word? It's two words put together? It doesn't matter. Like-minded, the word for humble is lowly-minded. Be like-minded and be lowly-minded. And in, in this beautiful picture that we have, of course, exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 2, he who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men, lowly and being found in human form, he did what? He humbled himself. And there's the word. He humbled himself. And prior to that, Paul would say to the Philippians, have this mind among yourselves. Be humble. There's much more that can be said about this. But here's the point in all of this, just to to land. By pursuing each of these outwardly, we will, as I said a moment ago, as Peter has already said, we will silence the ignorance of the foolish people. He says in chapter 2, verse 15. And more importantly, church, we will live so that those outside of Christ might see our good deeds and glorify God that they would see our good deeds and glorify God. Brothers and sisters, may we do good. Let us be a blessing. May we bless with our lives, our words, our actions. Let us bless and not curse. Let's be a blessing and let's aim and chase after righteousness and peace in our social spheres, our neighborhoods, in our city, because why? To this we are called, as Peter says. To this we are called. Church, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I'll I'll pray. Unless one of you elders has something you want to just say this morning, I'll, I'll pray and end just because of time. Is that good? All right. Let's stand together. Would you please? Our Father, what an example we have in you. We remind ourselves just as... Again, as as Paul said to the Philippians, have this mind among yourselves. Then he goes on and he speaks about the in, our, in, in the in I can't even think of say the word <laughs> incarnation of Jesus on earth. Lord, we look to you as our example, and not just the standard to which we want to hold to, but Lord, the means by which we achieve that standard. Father, we thank you for grace. We ask you again this morning that we would be a people that stands firmly in it. Lord, would you help us in these areas where we've spoken of this morning? Perhaps, Father, where we are still tempted to default to the, the earthly, carnal, fleshly man. Lord, would you help us by your spirit to be people whose speech is seasoned with salt, who speak graciously, Lord God, who are willing to be misunderstood, who are, who are willing to, Lord God, to to not be heard, perhaps. Father, give us wisdom in our speech. Give us wisdom in our action, I pray. Father, to the glory of your name. Lord, we need wisdom in this day and age. Father, we see this moment within us and culture as an opportunity for the gospel, not, Lord, as a circumstance to retreat. And we ask, Lord God, that you would take what we're hearing and what we're learning from your words from Peter, Lord, and you would plant them deep in our hearts, that it would change the way that we live, that it would change the way that we think, that it would change, Lord, how we raise and train our children and our families, and we encourage our friends, Lord God. And may it be to the glory of your awesome name. In Jesus Christ, amen.